Oh dear Lord. Uh, did that do it? Yeah. Man, I, uh, I fucking hate this shit so much. I, the, I don't, so I don't know. I didn't, I'm learning zoom etiquette. Um, but my first, the first time I actually did a, um, first time I did a zoom call, it was with Yale. And I thought that you like signed in, you know, you walked into the meeting at the meeting time or whatever. I didn't realize people got there like 10 minutes early to hang out. Oh. And then I got a, a sort of tense, I mean, terse, not tense, a terse message from the program director being like, uh, you know, Mr. Shivali, were you intending on joining us? And I was like, oh, fuck. I actually was testing the mic. I wasn't sure. I couldn't really. I know you told me there were like three variations on it. And I just tested it. And one of them sounded pretty good. So you'll let me know if the um, there's this, you know, the 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 Philly mantra of uh, fuck around and find out. Mm -hmm. And I'm at the point in my life of uh, how about don't fuck around and don't find out like if a thing is working, just fucking let it work. Right. Yeah. yeah. The. Um, are we already recording? Is this yeah, a nice long intro? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we just go, we just go right into it with no, there's, there's no romance to it. It's just um, the, no, I found that I, uh, um, this podcast will be mostly intro. <laughs> I've, found, I've found that um, from having done podcasts in the past, we always see the best shit uh, like before or after the podcast. You know, it's like every, everybody's like, oh, let's get out all the, the funny, insightful, touching, heartfelt stuff. And and now we'll hit record. Um, yeah. No, and I turn into like, uh, I think it's like Michigan J Frog. That, that <laughs> Frog, I just like immediately like hit record and I'm like, <laughs> just freak out. Uh, ribbit. Yeah. Um, so uh, because I have no editing chops, uh, I'm just going to um, I'm just going to say your introduction now because it's also kind of funny um, for me to just say the thing. So um, uh, Sari Beliak is a comic and a writer, uh, a friend of mine, a special friend, a grief buddy. Um, she is, uh, she's published work with The Hard Times and The Onion, among other uh, respectable venues. Uh, please welcome to the stage, Sari Beliak. <laughs> thank you that was a nice intro yeah uh, i just winged it it's funny because like i we know each other well enough we've done enough things together we've griped together about enough things that i just i carry your bio around in my head thank you i think i mean yeah thank you <laughs> right the um and i mean i should preface too that like uh, we were hanging out last night so I could run the mic over to you. And uh, this is all fake. It's all, uh, you know, um, shadow puppetry. And the yeah. you live like, around, you know, down the street, around the corner, 10 minutes away. Um, instead, we're doing this weird uh, submarine periscope connection through our computers. I know. Uh, Johnny was so happy to see you. It's... He just like snuggled right up. He was like, this is good. He it's, loves him a good Phoenix sad person. <laughs> it's, it's, is, uh, is Phoenix sad like a specific, the, you know, like the Chicago Bulls, the Phoenix sad? I think, I think so. I it think sounds so. like an indoor soccer team. 
yeah like a softball team or something yeah it seems to be and i don't know if i'm like the team manager or the 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 water boy or something but (laughs) i seem to attract all the phoenix (laughs) so and then johnny's kind of the therapy dog for everybody so it's it's funny because johnny is such a low-key dog i he's never it's not just that he's never barked i don't i don't know if he's ever wagged his tail at me maybe once a couple years ago Okay, there we go. But he just sort of looks at me like, oh, hey, what's up? He's like your stoner roommate who's like who never remembers my name but knows who I am. He's he's a very special dog, yeah. The um he has like short man syndrome. That's you'll hear him bark, he sees other dogs, and he'll go up against like big dogs. I'm just like, that dog will rip your face off. What are you doing? Yeah, that the um I remember that that he hates dogs. It's funny because my cat um loves dogs, totally cool with with dogs, hates cats. The I'm like, oh, uh hating your own kind. I know I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> um so I don't have structure yet for this what is turning into a podcast. The um it's the at at a minimum, what it is, is it forces me to hang out with somebody every week, um, which I'm grateful for the, particularly, I think when the summer comes and we're all yeah. sort of like locked in our bunkers, the, um, but I knew I wanted to have you on in this like first round of people I'm having on, um, because, uh, you were one of the first people in Phoenix who I met, who I was like, we we are going to be whether this woman consents to it or not we shall be friends um and uh and then also during that long you know just um sargasso of time that we call the pandemic the shutdown the lockdown whatever the fuck the um that you and i got a lot closer and that you were like um you're a confidant when i was going through shit and you're going through a lot of shit of your own, you know. The, yeah, um, it's, it's been a it's been a couple years. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pandemic. It's yeah. It has the um, but let's start with the good stuff. Let's talk about your book that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is because I'm getting roasted or something. <laughs> The... Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I've been working on this book off and on for a few years. Um, it was something that was going to be published as a zine by Devastator Press back in like 2016, 2017. Wow. And then they ended their publishing year. So I still had this, this project and it has always been um, a community college course catalog with fake classes, quotes from students, teachers, history of the campus, you know, funny stories, ridiculous campus things, the history of the mascot, fake businesses, etc. So I, that was shelved in like 2017. Uh, In 2018, I was in Chicago doing other things like, you know, working with The Onion. And I think in 2020, I pitched it to a new publication. Uh, that was previously, it was people from National Lampoon, the newer humor publication. And they loved it. They're like, 
we are so excited about this. This has like the feel of an old National Lampoon yearbook issue. Um, we love this. We're so excited. So I would say I was like 85, 90% done where it was just kind of formatting and getting rights to pictures where I had, you know, campus traditions and all of these things and backstory and like different hours for the, all the, uh, you know, like the bookstore and the bursar's office, financial aid. And I reached out to them just to check in with the editors because I hadn't talked to them in a while. And they're like, hey, so another like way more successful comedy writer <laughs> is publishing uh, like the same premise uh, to their book. I was like, no, I'm sure maybe I don't, you know, maybe it'll still work. And they sent me the link for it. And it's like, yep, pretty much the same book, uh, just, you know, different title. Um, so that's that. I don't know. I don't know why these things happen. I mean, I, I met with them and and I'm still working on retooling it a little bit, but it's still not really at like the forefront of my mind but I have some ideas of other ways to maybe save it or take it in another direction the I mean you know one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this in a public forum is um not just to um not just to profit off your pain um <laughs> but the you know teaching each year and um, being friends with a lot of uh, working writers and aspiring writers and, you know, meeting new students each year who sort of come out like, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and like, you know, I, I know it's an uphill battle, but like, we're going to change the world, you know, the, and then um, like reality sets in and you just, you know, you get fucking ground down and there's huge, um, just these massive career defining or life defining setbacks the where one of the things i think i struggled with at the beginning of the the shutdown um was uh, local comedians being like um uh you know never mind the 300,000 americans dead uh what about comedy <laughs> you yeah. know the and the in my I knew I was always going to be an artist and uh, I'm old as dirt now. And so when that hit, I was in a privileged position in that uh, my dreams had already been ground to powder several <laughs> times over the course of my life. And yeah. I've had to keep uh, changing plans, reinventing, you know, reinventing myself, uh, scrapping the, the map that I'd created as to how my life was going to go and like, well, how fuck. All right. Well, you know, the, um, and, you know, and finding that, I don't know, life isn't, uh, your dreams and your plans. It's, it's what you do when that shit falls through. Yeah. Um, my, my bubby always, she would say in, in Yiddish, it's uh mensch trach and God which means men plan and God laughs. <laughs> so um yeah and and this to me it like actually feels even talking about it this was only a month ago but it feels very minor um because it's like there is so much rejection and so much 
uh, you know, you think like you've had projects too, where you're like, oh, this is the thing. And then it crashes and burns. So this even, and I think too, because I found out about this and then a few hours later, um, they reached out to me from Do Better Comedy about teaching a writing workshop. And it felt very connected. And I just gave myself the day to be sad and like, what the fuck about it? Cause I was just like, I don't know what to do. I, I put all this energy. I have this great, this whole world built out and then just shifted to working on the comedy writing class. So it, it felt really good and it felt like, like a positive switch uh, to focus on, to put my energy into that and be excited about teaching and, you know, working with people. And I've done more private lessons and like, you know, one-on-one -on -one stuff with people, but that was the first of just like an intro to comedy writing. And I was nervous about it and excited about it, but it, it felt like the timing of it was, was kind of right on. So the, um, I don't know if you were hoping for more, like, I don't know. I mean, I can cry if you want for the, <laughs> I think I'm like a pretty resilient I guess too because it's just like I don't know it feels like there is so much I was telling somebody I was talking to a friend of mine who's a writer and I feel like because I got so much yes and acceptance when I first started writing for however that sounds like if I had known how much rejection is part of writing I don't think I would be writing <laughs> like I think I just I don't know if it was like beginner's luck or whatever timing when I started writing and submitting and it and I you know whatever reason it was like I felt like I was getting a lot of stuff accepted and this and that and now I feel like there's more rejection or more projects that get stalled or you know whatever it is and we were joking like oh if I had any idea how much rejection and <laughs> whatnot is associated with this like I would have like maybe gone to nursing school or something <laughs> this is rough the you know one of the things I tell my students is that you know to uh to be to sign up to be writers to be creatives the you're signing up to be a professional failure that mm -hmm. you know that you will fail more than you succeed um you know and it's sort of like uh you know baseball the if you, you know, if you, if you get on base, uh, 40% of the time that you get up to bat, that's hall of fame. <laughs> like you're the best of the best and that's not even scoring. That's just getting on base, you know, the, um, and I have never, uh, gotten used to rejection. I've never gotten okay with dealing with it, you know, with handling it. And the, one of the things that was tricky for me as a friend, um, when I got your message about the book that it was, um, you know, that they were like, well, uh, you know, the, um, is that you, uh, you are a very mature person and you're good at holding a bunch of different things, a bunch of different emotions sort of in your head at the same time and sort of processing on the fly and what I thought was, you know, in this moment, what I wish for Sari is for her to cry behind the wheel of her car, because the, that I find that that is, you have to weep in your car a lot to, to deal with this shit. And the, and that's the best way to, 
to, I mean, you have to grieve these failures and sort of just give yourself over to like, uh, God, why me? Like, you know, yet screaming at the rain, you know, howling at the sky, like the, um, and then the next day you're like, oh man, why did, why, why did I fucking freak out? Like, I'm fine. You know, the, yeah. um, did you, did you have, uh, did you have moments like that? I, didn't, I let myself really like have that day. And I, it was good because I, got out of the house because I've been working from home and it was I was just like I didn't know what to do it was that feeling of like uh, uh, that kind of panicked feeling and I was able to like get dressed put on makeup put on a real bra like all things that I'm not necessarily doing a whole lot of these days and I went and bought myself some like way overpriced vegetarian food I, I thought it was going to make me feel better it, it didn't really um then I got some like the the brookie the the brownie cookie thing from trader joe's which highly recommend it's like top notch i'm now i'm excited for something bad to happen to me so i can go and engage in that it's like the the pms snack industry really just it (laughs) it works um but i did feel like i don't know i think there was some part of me because i hadn't talked to the editors I think I was like well maybe it could still work this like you know optimistic part of me maybe there's a chance maybe it's not that similar um and we met on Monday and it was like all right so now we start over but I don't know I think I've had other setbacks and other things happen I don't know um I've done a lot of therapy, you know, to your point of like holding a lot of emotions and just perspective. Like, I don't know. I, I, when these things happen, it's just like, I, I don't, I, there's nothing to be sad about. Like I decided, I kind of like in 2016 was like, I want to write comedy. And there's, there's nothing to be sad about, you know, like the opportunities that I've had um I know this is supposed to be like a sad podcast but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I feel um I feel like it's just important perspective of like you know this isn't like years and years and years and like working alone and getting my MFA like all of these things it was just like you know I loved comedy and I did a lot of like gender studies and cultural studies in college and just like, I feel like for me, those two always kind of intersected, but I didn't know how. And it, yeah, it was kind of like all of these things had been kind of bubbling at the surface. And then it was, I think I met you at, at Bird City that year, 2016, and I was just getting started and was really fired up about it and, you know, sent stuff into hard times and they were just taking off. So it was a whole bunch of opportunities from there so it's you know the i keep coming back to this uh, this idea of perspective and um the you know it is one of the things we talk about in therapy of you know sort of getting perspective on your own life your what you're dealing with the good things the bad things um the and i think that's one of the things that i've been struggling with through you know for the last year and a half and um and I think that a lot of us have been struggling with, with 
living our own personal private lives in the face of a massive, a global public tragedy where it feels like we, and maybe, maybe not everybody does this. Maybe this is just me like late at night, you know, going down the fucking rabbit hole, but it's, I, I have this, it feels like we're cataloging our grief and we have to, we're in the, this global grief library and you're, you're, is like, where, where do I put mine? How much shelf space does it take up? Does it even belong here? Does it merit inclusion in here? It's, is it, is it a, a book or is it just a pamphlet? Like, do I just leave this on the, on the, the table instead of, you know, the, like how, how sad am I allowed to feel or how bad am I allowed to feel? You know, the, um, you know, you, you get a splinter and then you're driving down the road and you see some horrific car accidents, just bodies, oh, an ocean of blood, right? The splinter still sucks. Splinters yeah. always suck, you know, the, and it's the, um, I have always been gifted when it comes to uh, feeling bad for myself. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very good at being like, no, fuck you. Look at this splinter. Like the, yeah. um, the, so I, I don't know. It's, I, I guess that is one of the, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that's one of the things I value about your friendship is that I think that you have, um, you often have uh, some of the perspective that I lack. Um, the, but also that, that, but that you're it's mature, but, that you're, but I, I, I'm concerned that your mature perspective is standing in the way of you having those uh, so gratifying weeping in a parking lot or even like crying so hard you have to pull over to the side no, of the room. I mean I I have that and and certainly I mean I'm, I'm sure we, we were we were getting to this but my my dad passing he passed away the end of June this past summer and there were for sure moments and and I was kind of first in command as far as my siblings like in the front first on the dealing with his medical care and there were, there were a lot of those moments of like, you know, getting in my car after being at Mayo Hospital the whole day and like really, you know, turning on the radio and it's like the perfect, just gutting song at the right moment and just weeping and driving, which kind of thrilling, uh, I suppose. Um, but I don't think yeah, I mean, as far as like career stuff, I think I'm good at dismissing my own feelings, but I did some good, like some good crying and, and just the process of grief relating to my dad that since, I mean, his passing in June, but he had a kidney transplant in, in March. And, you know, there just the cycle of grief and those emotions I mean, just a wild ride. Like I, I think I would guess maybe for the first two months after, after he passed, almost every night I dreamt that he was still alive. And like, I was getting a call from Mayo or from hospice or from, you know, one of the like social workers or somebody I had been dealing with and it was like hey so sorry we had some mix-up like we need you to arrange for his pickup or whatever it was it was like 
my my brain my subconscious was refusing to accept you know because he got this transplant and he was about to start this whole new life and it was so hopeful like a stranger donated a kidney to my dad and you know my parents had gotten divorced um a few months before that that was a whole thing like moving out of our childhood home that you know there was a whole bunch uh sorting like literally sorting through <laughs> grief and processing that and there was a moment of hope of like okay you know it's gonna be tough my parents were married for almost 40 years but it's on to the next thing it's on to the next chapter and he just when he was taking immunosuppressants these cancer cells just attacked his body and it was you know i took him in to the hospital he's he had fallen and he was a little bit confused and then it just it, it was like overnight and then you know two weeks later they're doing these tests and he had i think they called it tumor lysis where tumors are just like spreading like wild wildfire um so definitely I don't, I don't know if i told you like the so we were sitting shiva so my family is jewish and the day before my dad passed away uh, i'd gotten off the phone i was going to uh getting ready to pick up my cousin from the airport he was going to come to visit my dad at hospice and just the mental state that i was in I walked into a cabinet that's been in the exact same space for years, but I clipped my toe hard enough to like fracture my toe. I don't know if I told you this. I do remember this now, but yeah, keep, keep going though. Yeah, it was so swollen and I, you know, I'm like limping around, uh, you know, at a point I was at the hospice and one of the nurses was like, do you want some ice for your foot? Cause it's just like black and swollen. <laughs> I was like, yeah, did you, I'll be okay. Um, so my, my dad passed away the end of June and I'd been limping around, uh, going to Shiva. And finally, I think it was like the 4th of July was the first day I'd had an opportunity to like, where we weren't sitting Shiva. And I went to urgent care to get my foot x-rayed and on the way back, some guy on a motorcycle, I think I told you this, he, I was waiting to pull out of the gas station on Indian school. And he like went past me and was like, get off your phone, you fucking bitch or something while I'm waiting to make a left turn. You know, there's, it's a busy street. And I just like, I've never, <laughs> I just snapped. And I'm just like screaming at this dude on a motorcycle. And I was like, I'm gonna follow this guy home. <laughs> I, he turned and I watched him and he turned onto like 12th street. And I just am like gripping the steering wheel. And I'm, it's one of those where it's happening and you're not registering at the moment, but I'm already a few blocks away. And it's like, I'm like, my chest is heaving. And I'm like, oh no, we're following some dude on a motorcycle to like cuss him out. And I was like driving up and down his street, just like, I know where you live, motherfucker, just seething with rage. Um, and it's it's funny to me now, I can, <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but 
to talk about like what grief does to people as like you know the the sister that's like trying to hold it together and that's been you know arranging the um the hospice transport and doing you know watching my dad get a feeding tube inserted like all of these details and then this motherfucker just catches me in that moment like get off your phone stupid bitch and you're just like what i'm gonna murder you and and i really was i was like driving up and down this guy's street just like making eye contact like i know where you live and i got home and by that point i'm like you know ugly crying doesn't even really do it justice where it's like you're just gasping for breath and, and that, that was the first time where I really like broke down and it was like the anger and the disappointment like of what like you know this what we thought my dad's life was going to be this new chapter of him and his apartment and getting a new place and maybe he was joking about talking to women at the assisted living place and it just that the anger like feeling so robbed of that that was some driving and crying and really yeah um i hope i i never have another one but also those at the end of the day with time to process it and stuff i find that those moments of like losing yourself you know where you're like what the fuck am i doing or like who have i become or you know the um are so integral to our survival or to us because the because after those moments of of losing yourself you have to find yourself again yeah. you you have to return to your body and return to your life and be like okay, I need to pay this APS bill tomorrow. The cat litter is code red. That's got to be, you know, just the, the sort of ruthless tyranny of day-to-day -day life. And the, I think in times of um, grief and loss, the sometimes it is that like the fucking toenail clipping of life that, that keeps us attached to you know, to this world is like just those little things that you have to do, you know, the, um, and this was around the same time that you were getting married. Um, this was like six months after we got married. Okay. So six my parents after. divorce finalized just a few weeks before Eric I'm, and I got married. Okay. I'm, um, I'm conflating your, your parents' fresh divorce with your father's passing <laughs> because um, the, because there was just, it was so thick and so fast for you for a while there. Um, yeah. I was like, I needed to write cliff notes to track what was going on in your life. Cause it was, yeah. It was. I, I need to tell you too, that I still, you, after your, because it was during the height of COVID and you couldn't really have a wedding that we met up and you gave me the, the little succulents in mm -hmm. the little uh, yellow and blue glasses. And as many dishes as i have broken since then and now i still have uh both of those glasses and the succulents are thriving so on my windowsill i love it a few people have shown me yeah we did 
uh, a small outdoor, like very non-traditional thing just right before my parents moved out of the house, which was really special. Um, but yeah, that was, I have a few friends that have sent me pictures like, look at the little cactus. I kill every plant, but she's thriving. It's, it's sweet to see. It's, it's funny because we have these sort of like truism and this, you know, sort of like cross-stitch wisdom that we try to throw up against the darkness of, you know, like, um, you know, make a plan and God laughs, you know, mm -hmm. the, and at, at once it's, you know, it's sort of like comforting and wry and dark and funny. And also like, you know, it's like, you know, you know, throwing a penny down a, a fucking well, like it doesn't even hit the sides. <laughs> it just seems like, um, yeah, I've been reading a book about toxic positivity, which is Ooh, it's really yeah. interesting to me. As somebody that um, has struggled with issues of codependency and always wanting to help, I like to think that I'm not so much of offering the like, well, God has a plan. Like, it's going to be, you know, whatever. Yeah, don't you, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's my... I know that... Um, yeah, I think that I do it more to myself. I feel like I have a feeling and then judge myself for having it of like, I should know better or like, well, it could be worse. It's not this thing or uh, like kind of what you were saying before, like, yeah, it's still a splinter. It doesn't take away somebody being in a car accident doesn't mean less. So it's it's been a really interesting read. I'm like halfway through it. Um, but it is an interesting thing to think about because so much of social media and these things are just like, just good vibes only be positive. And it's like, people are grieving in unimaginable ways all the time. I um, I, the, this, all right. This story probably tells more about me than, uh, the human condition or something, but I, uh, I adopted this little week old baby mouse that I found. And then, uh, <laughs> at some point, um, he got out of his cage and, you know, it was clear that my sister's cat had eaten him, mm. you know, and, um, uh, I posted a, uh, made a melodramatic Facebook post about, uh, grieving my little baby mouse as, as one does. And, and some, somebody, with the, the best of intentions, you know, with the purest of intentions said something like, uh, you know, he's in a better place now. Yeah. And I was like, really? Like, oh, did he go to mouse heaven? Like the <laughs> go fuck yourself. Are you kidding me? Struggling here on earth. <laughs> I, 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 like, just follow that. Working four jobs to support his mouse family, and all, now he can finally rest. All of that banality to its logical conclusion, and it comes to what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you know, and, and so I think sometimes the 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 greatest thing we can do for for one another is just um, just to allow that person to be sad. Just hold them as they cry. You know, it, it the, really. It, it is it's such an interesting thing because it's like it's more about us being uncomfortable of like oh no our friend is sad or this person in front of us is hurting I want to say the thing or I don't want to see them cry or whatever it is and it's like 
it's totally okay to just like, like, I'm so sorry that you're hurting and I'm here if you want to talk about it. But yeah, the urge to like, well, you know, God always has a plan. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, those God has a plan people. Uh, oh yeah. Um, or God never gives you more than you can handle. You know, just all of these. The uh, God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. By killing my mouse? Fuck you. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm, I, I'm good about giving people the benefit of the doubt. I, I truly believe that people mean well. Um, I, I, I was in a, a bad accident like almost 10 years ago. I was biking and I got hit by a car. Uh, obviously survived, lived to tell the tale. But I remember Spo one Spoiler of alert. What's that? Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my parents' friends, and obviously this was a deeply traumatic thing, like hit my head, wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, it was, it was a, a bad situation. This girl was like texting and driving and hit me going 40 miles per hour, threw me into some rocks. We're talking well, like- I, Ironically, get off your phone, you stupid bitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, wow. It's it funny because I, I deal with like middle child feelings of like feeling ignored. So I thought it was kind of funny of like <laughs> literally like not paying attention to me. Um, but one of my parents' friends just like, I know how you feel. One time I was at the YMCA and, and I got hit in the face with a racquetball. I was like, that is has nothing to do with me being in my car. And, but thank you for taking the opportunity to make this moment about you. Like, <laughs> I really appreciate it. The, I hope you asked her what color of ball it was. The, I, I mean, this is one of the things we were talking about that last night that, you know, is that like, we've been friends for a while through a bunch of shit. I had no idea you'd ever been through you know a like traumatic car accident like that the yeah um i don't know i remember telling somebody and they're like you should talk about it on stage especially the thing of like feeling ignored feeling like the middle child that kind of stuff and um i think it was such a obviously a big thing and i you know i wasn't doing comedy at the time i was actually in the middle of a yoga teacher training i was exactly halfway through uh, a yoga teacher training was like couldn't walk and do all of these things but that there was such a tremendous therapy and healing you know all of the I, I was doing EMDR through that so I don't know not to uh toxic positivity platitude <laughs> myself but it's like you know sometimes we just don't know why things happen <laughs> like we don't know the meaning why at the time. Like, would have preferred to not get hit by a car for sure, but uh, <laughs> the um, you know, there's a there's a lesson in everything. God, God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, I don't know if um, you know this, but both my grandparents on my my dad's side were Holocaust survivors, um, and I grew up very much with my bubby in my life. I didn't I didn't know my grandfather as well, but she was a very big part of my childhood and I feel like that I don't remember ever feeling like if I complained 
you know, it'd be like, well, do you know what I went through? But I feel like that, I don't know, that kind of, it's like an important thing that formed perspective. Uh, I know people love to compare things to the Holocaust now and like having to wear a mask or whatever nonsense, um, if people are even uh, saying that the Holocaust actually happened. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like that, having that as like part of my family history and like our people's history, I feel like that's, you know, like suffering and pain and life and joy, all of these things. and sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down and you win some like I know uh, are, are you know. about to go into a musical number I was actually you know one of the things that I um th that I'm fascinated by is sort of you know scientific explanations of uh you know sort of woo woo stuff the mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and I officially, you know, think that whatever, you know, the positive vibes and reincarnation and telekinesis and all this shit, you know, that it's all, it's all bullshit. The, but also like, um, think about uh, Bluetooth, which mm -hmm. is something that we sort of like take for granted now, like, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, that was just black magic, right? The, I mean, even yeah. like a fucking radio, you know, um, there's to say nothing of the internet or things like that, you know, so I am always curious when we, you know, when we start to get sort of like scientific explanations of the, um, you know, of sort of woo-woo subjects, you know, and one of the things that I read up on a little bit was how um, uh, grief is, can be carried down generationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not just in like, um, oh, you have a, the Eeyore gray cloud over you, but that um, people have um, elevated risk of uh, like heart attacks and um, COPD and the, you know, just like a, a host of physical ailments um, yeah. as a result of uh, trauma being passed down from sort of from generation to generation, you know, Another model of looking at that is, you know, to think about how, um, you know, casual misogyny or homophobia or something like that is, um, or racism is sort of passed down from generation to generation, you know, where the, um, my father um, never said, um, you need to hate black people and here's why, here's a, here's a catalog of, of the reasons why and how to the, but reflecting back on it now the it was uh, it, it was like secondhand smoke you know yeah. Yeah. that um the you know I never heard my father use racial slurs but the um but uh, contempt is hard to harder to define or to pin down than overt racism or you know the um so uh I don't know. I, th I think there's a lot of good working models um, to show that um, grief, trauma, horror um, from the Holocaust or other, you know, generational trauma, you know, is it is passed down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think about my Bubby was 13 in a concentration camp. She had a middle school education. Such a wise beautiful, I, 
I'll have to send you a picture of her. Just like a sweet, plump, little Polish woman. She's so sweet. Um, you know, she had, she had a, a, a middle school education and she and my grandfather met in what are they, like a relief camp after the war. So two people who had experienced unimaginable trauma met and had my uncle then had my dad and had another another boy later on but it's not like they were going to therapy every week you know they were surviving doing the best they can so i you know the i know you you've read i'm looking at it over on my bed the um when the body keep or the body keeps the score but of that like hurt people hurt people um i don't even it i don't even know some of the stuff that went on in their house growing up but i know there's so much of like the the food scarcity like we kind of joke about it as like that as like a jewish thing but there's it's in our, it's in our blood. It's in our, the anxiety and the scarcity. Um, the, there's so much to it. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> the thing about uh, a 13 year old, know. you know, in a concentration camp, 13 is the age where if your mom fails to pick you up from school at, at an appointed time, she is literally ruining, ruining your life. Yeah. <laughs> like to, um, you know, mom, this is literally like a concentration camp. You know I mean? There's it's, yeah. the, it's, it's so much to, you know, to imagine a, a mind at that sort of like height of sensitivity enduring that the, you know, and I think one is tempted to make, to, to say that, you know, one of those things of, oh, the, you know, the, um, you know, your grandparents, oh, the, the triumph of the human spirit, but it's, it's not really like the, the triumph. It's like the Herbie, the love bug of the human spirit, you know, that like, yeah, like he makes it across the finish line, but he's completely fucking falling apart. You know, the, um, and I, I, I think that's the best and worst thing about human beings is that we, we do seem to have this, uh, tremendous capacity for, uh, for grief and suffering and trauma and horror and stuff like that. And, uh, and people keep going, you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking, I can remember. My cat is uh, making maximum. I don't, I, I don't know if you saw the box that she just like vaulted into oh, sorry. yeah I can kind of see her partying in the background yes that's um, sorry keep going I remember being a, a teenager and just struggling with food and body issues as as one does um but I can remember even at the time having the thought of like judging myself harshly for doing whatever I was doing um, because it was like my bubby and her family were starved. I have this abundance of food and I'm doing whatever disordered eating behavior. Like I'm so lucky. So even as a teenager kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, gaslighting is probably not the right word, but yeah, just judging 
those own feelings of like, you have this, you're so lucky, you have it so good. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just like that perspective, I can remember feeling really guilty, which I know, you know, my family would be thrilled. That's the the Jewish spirit. <laughs> we're, we're endlessly creative when it comes to finding ways of making yeah. ourselves feel bad. Having disordered eating, but then feeling really guilty about it is <laughs> just. The, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, teaching the, cause you just did a comedy workshop, which is, yeah. that's a very, that's a hashtag, uh, hashtag comedy workshop, you know, a very hot button issue. Um, how was it? It was super fun. I was feeling nervous going into it um, and had some like uh, noise from some people, like some some static that I, I let get in my head for a little bit where I was kind of spinning out. I was just like, oh, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I am a fraud. Maybe I'm not that funny. Like maybe I don't really have any place to be teaching a comedy writing workshop and had a, like a day of this and it it took me some time but then came around to the like no I'm I'm literally a comedy writer like I I this is this is what I do um, I'm not saying I know everything about comedy or comedy writing but I've definitely studied these things and did my time at the onion um, you know, I, I don't know, it's just a feeling of like, I don't know how much else I have to prove to you motherfuckers, but it's also <laughs> myself. Like, I hate that I got, I let myself get dragged by that. Yeah. Um, Cause it's just kind of shitty. It's, it's noise, it's static, it's jealousy, it's whatever bitter uh, scarcity mindset um, that these people have. Uh, there's plenty to go around. Um, yeah, I hate that I get dragged by those things, uh, but it felt good to like eventually come around to like kind of owning it of like, no, I'm, I'm a great person to do this and I'm excited about it. And people gave me really good feedback that, you know, I, they were excited for writing, which is such a nice thing to hear as a teacher. I know we talked about how people love the performing part of it because you get the feedback right away you get the great job great set you get that rush but from writing you don't get that you you have to sit and be disciplined and it's more isolating and it's not always as fun <laughs> like it is way more fun to go do a show and see your friends and get some free chicken wings or whatever but the writing takes it takes more discipline and or I shouldn't say it takes more it takes sorry it takes discipline and practice <laughs> don't come for me please i'm very very fragile uh the what one of the things i sort of highlighted to myself that i wanted to when you said earlier when we were talking about rejection and failure and stuff you said oh well i had a lot of um you know sort of acceptance early on you know the and what i wanted to say then and which i'll say now is the reason you had a lot of acceptance early on is because you're a very good writer um mm. I, and i and i will also cop to uh i am one of those people that when i see uh your articles when i see your tweets i'm like god damn this motherfucker because you can write you can really write and you can do stuff that i can't do and the um 
and so when I see your writing, which I love, which I enjoy, I, I read your pieces and I laugh the, um, and I also, I laugh and I feel like a little bit of bile for whatever you're sending up, which makes, which it just makes it better for me. The, um, the, but I do, I, I, I absolutely, I feel jealous. I feel insecure. And, um, I, I, I feel like, man, fuck this motherfucker, you know? So the, it's, uh, it's tricky because, you know, you're, you're my friend and you've been an amazing friend and I like totally support you and I want everything you do to succeed, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> There's that Phoenix comedy spirit. I know. right? <laughs> the, um, but I don't know. I mean, is, is, is that just part of our affliction of being, I mean, at, at the end of the day, to be a writer, to be a comic, to be a performer of any kind, you are like, you know, we're attention whores, you know, it's like the, give me them likes, you know, give me the, um, you know, give me the physical manifestation of the likes, you know, the. That was, I'm just thinking that was such a weird thing for me to, uh, I don't know, to face because I was just starting out writing and I started publishing stuff with the hard times. So you can see it, you know, getting likes and getting shared and people sharing it, quote, tweeting it, whatever. And it feels really good. It feels very validating. And it's, it's such a messed up system, like a uh, cycle. Um, and as somebody that like really isn't on Facebook or is trying to limit my Twitter use for sure. It's, it's just such an, un I, I personally struggle with finding a healthy outlet for, hey, I wrote this thing. You can read it if you want without then the the worrying and the validation or i mean i i don't know how especially younger people or somebody that's like an influencer that's like really in the thick of it um I, I yeah i don't know how you do these things and stay sane and balanced because for sure you know to write something funny and to see comics that i like sharing it and like oh this is so funny I, I you know i wish i wrote this or whatever thing it's like oh, really they like me really oh my gosh and, you know that that like praise and validation and that was the first time i was getting paid to write comedy it was just you know perfect timing and it was so exciting to be part of that um man i it's i don't know how people like balance that relationship because it's yeah, it's very easy to see other people, you know, people are posting their their greatest hits. They're not posting, oh, got rejected from this again. Maybe they are, some people. Yeah, that, you know, I mean, I think that is one of the reasons why I, I want to talk a little bit about your book and how you're sort of having to reinvent it. The um, Because I think as as writers, as creatives, as professional failures, we need to share some of those stories, mm -hmm. you know, the, um, when I was, you know, when I was a kid, when I was, uh, going to grad school, the, um, I started writing this novel called, uh, strategies of the nuclear age. And it was a band. It was, it was, you know, the, the story of a band who had taken their, you know, one guy had woken up from a, a nod and like heard somebody say strategies of nuclear age, you know, which was uh, named after a course from the school I went to the, um, but it was the story of this band, you know, and uh, I grieved 
the failure of that novel like a dead child you know yeah. the, I still feel like oh fuck I really should have finished that story you know but it, I, whatever, I was like 22 when I was writing it. It, it it was not it was not that good I just cared about it a lot you know yeah. the um so it is um it is so hard to deal with setbacks and failures and obstacles and stuff like that at a younger at a, at a young age it's also sometimes worse or harder to uh to have a string of successes and then um you know and, and then be like oh shit you know the yeah. people hit me up you know now and they're like oh why don't you write more why don't you publish more and it's like the to, i mean to be a freelancer um even now, you know, with, you know, having a memoir out and teaching whatever, all the shit that I do, I still have to, I have to pitch articles to people. Yeah. And then when they don't respond, I have to email them back and be like, Hey, uh, you know, it's, it's Tuesday. You say you get back to me on Friday, the, and you're, you're just, you're a supplicant and you know, sort of for, the, for all eternity and the, and fuck that. <laughs> like, you know, I can, um, I can make more money easier flipping guitars um, and you know, deal with a, a different type of passive aggression, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, so. Something with the, the success early on, I know I was, uh, I think I was sending some links or working on portfolios, something or other, but I saw in the beginning of 2017, it was like January 3rd, January 4th, I got my first McSweeney's article published and then I had like one of my favorite reductress articles. And I remember looking at this and I got really sad because it was the feeling of like, I'm never gonna do that again. I'm never gonna have that excitement and enthusiasm and creativity where now I feel like I have so much judgment and so much of the critic in my head where at that point I was just like, we're going for it. They're, the sky's the limit. Like so excited about writing and it was so much yes. And now I feel like I just, I looked at that recently cause I was, you know, compiling whatever links. And it was, I felt really sad of like, I felt like a has been or something like, you know, like how could I have ever written those two things back to back? obviously not groundbreaking, changing the world, changing the face of comedy, but it was just like, oh, it was, it was like a real sadness because now I feel like I have more of the, the critic just constantly in my head of like, oh, that's not fun. Oh, somebody did something similar. Oh, this and that, that won't work. That's too the, like, and then I've shut myself up before I have anything written down. Um, I, I feel like I've told you about this. I um, I met this guy when I was in New York who had an imaginary baseball league and he had been playing it out. He had he, been playing it out in his head since he was six years old and he had never missed a season. And I wrote a piece about him, like a lengthy sort of interview. And, um, and I was tremendously proud of it. I mean, I thought it was so, it was so interesting and so cool what he did. Um, and the, um, and I was very proud and he was a, a, a fascinating guy, um, super smart. The, I should have him on the podcast. The, and I, th I just thought it was deeply cool what he did. 
And so I wrote this piece and I got it accepted into McSweeney's and I was so, I was over the moon, you know, and then the, the, the editor was going to get back to me with edits, you know, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then um, the night before I was to leave, to go down to the Virgin islands, to crew on the sailboat. Um, he was like, okay, um, you know, I, I have a bunch of changes I want you to make. And I was like, I mean, I told you I'm leaving tomorrow, going down to the like Dominican Republic, and then I'll be offline for like four weeks because I'm going to be crewing on a sailboat. And he was like, oh, okay, thanks for submitting. And that was it. And then I went down the fucking sailboat wrecked and like the first five days of my life was ruined forever. You know, the, and I absolutely recently did the equivalent of following that guy home on his motorcycle. I did a spite Google mm -hmm. and I looked him up and I had to do searching to even find out his name because mm -hmm. as a writer, he has sort of like fallen off the map mm -hmm. and I can't tell you how good that made me feel. <laughs> you know, Mishka, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I mean, then the, of course the fucking shipwreck is what could be on the map as a writer. The, um, yeah, I, I mean, that's when you said it, I, I, I wasn't going to seriously say it out loud, but it's like, but then look what happened. Well, like, it, it took too long though, Sarah. It was like, then I was fucking out in the wilds for like 10 years. The, um, one thing I want to talk about real quick before we go is performance. Um, you know, the difference of the life at home in front of your computer um, staring at the screen. Oh, is the fucking magic ever going to happen? Frantically um, twirling my hair, even while I talk to you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Stimming yeah. at home. If, if JT ever makes a toy of you, it will be, the toy will be twirling her hair. <laughs> that would be actually really cool. The JT name. made a toy of me for my birthday one year and it was, it, it, it made me uh, happy and furious because he, <laughs> he got it. He nailed it. And he even got my fucking cat, right? The, I'll it. send you a picture of it later. The, um, but, um, I don't know the, as, as my friend, I perceive you so much as, um, uh, you know, maybe like in, um, from like Winnie the Pooh, we're like, uh, Eeyore and the owl, you know, that like, I'm always sad and that you're always like considering things the, and the, but then when, and, and, and we have, you know, these sort of like muted, uh, intellectual conversations where we're analyzing our emotions. How did I feel about having that feeling? Um, how did I feel about feeling that way about my feeling, you know, the, um, and then when you, when you get on stage, you, uh, I, and it, it happens again and again, I sort of watch you transform the, um, one of the things that I notice is that you like, you just throw the breaker to your like feminine power too. The, and you will sort of like, you know, twitch your hips at a punchline or the, you know, the, you use your body for your comedy as well. The, um, and, uh, and I don't do that. Um, so again, uh, fuck you for that. The, but what do you think about when you think about performance, when you think about yourself as a performer on stage versus a writer, um, Hmm. I feel like I'm still 
so new at it and still finding I feel like I'm only now talking about more personal things to me on stage where most of the writing and comedy that I was doing when I first started was writing for publications or writing in someone else's voice so I feel like I'm only now kind of leaning into the neurotic <laughs> uh, nervousness like embracing it um certainly when you start you I know I was like more performative and high energy and and now kind of letting myself be like the deadpan and the neurotic and it's like well that's who I am and kind of dialing that up but yeah I it's it's an it's so interesting to hear that feedback because I feel like I I don't see it or see myself in that way uh-huh. um, yeah where you know the writing is controlled the writing is uh, I can't handle that part of it but I feel like the performance aspect of it for me is still new and changing uh, just the other day I performed at a show uh, for like the city of Glendale and it was an outdoor amphitheater show and this big open stage space and you know the laughs kind of disappear into the into the yeah. open air and just feeling so uh kind of uncomfortable or unsettled at first doing that where it's like I like to move around and I'm used to doing smaller like more uh not I was gonna say confined spaces but just smaller rooms and this is a huge amphitheater setting and you know, you kind of hear the laughs trickling over here and there, but just how that affected my performance and got me uh, overanalyzing again in my head. But hey, I guess that adds to the neurotic performance. The, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when, like when Bert Kreischer was doing his tour of like um, drive-in theaters and everybody was doing sort of Zoom comedy shows, um, Jay White Cotton said once that um, a comic is is like a musician, but the the instrument that you know the, a comic is playing is the audience, mm-hmm. uh, um, and and that's why I've never done a fucking Zoom comedy show. The it, and the thought it's of so doing, challenging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just. Um, I, you know, I feel like it's like, you, you know, when you're a little kid and you're like, oh, I'm going to go play baseball by myself, you know, that I'm going to, I'm going to throw the ball up and I'm going to hit the ball. And then I'm going to go and catch, you know, the, um, you're doing all the work and, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just lazy or complacent at a point where I don't, I don't feel like doing that much work. No, I'm impressed by people that have taken to doing zoom comedy and have done it and embraced it and are doing well with it. Um, it's just it's so challenging to be sitting talking to a reflection of yourself (laughs) and doing comedy and you know people there's a delay or somebody's roommate walks in and makes noise or whatever weird stuff is happening in the background Yeah. Um, yeah it's such a funny element to it yeah the um well, hopefully we're getting back to live performance now. I, I, every morning, part of my morning ritual is looking at the COVID numbers. 
um, mm. in the New York Times, the and uh, we're you know we're out of the like deep purple in Arizona, and now we're just back in the red, you know. So the okay. I don't know. Um, what uh, we'll wrap up here in a minute. The what do you have going on this year that you're psyched about? Um, do you have new shows you want to plug? Do you want to have new projects you want to plug? The um, I mean, I'm, I, I know coming up the end of March, I'm doing Lou Moon's Island Time in Tempe. Awesome. In the Yucca Tap Room. Um, I don't know when this episode will come out, but I am trying to, I didn't do a whole lot of performing last year. Uh, <laughs> pandemic, dying father, <laughs> just the year, the, the year just flew by, but I'm, I'm slowly getting back out there um what else oh we got uh, messages coming through so sorry um yeah and you're doing the this will be up this week you're doing uh you're doing matt mcletty's show on the 18th yes 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 the erotic poetry uh, and music festival i don't know if that's what it's called but i feel like that's close enough that somebody could find it at the all one house and I, it's going to be a great it's a really solid lineup is that the like weird art house in, mm -hmm. oh, I love that place. The, um, Patrick that, Aiken is on it. Anthony Decimito. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. The, um, the, that is, that is the night before, uh, my, my plug, which is my birthday party on, uh, on February 19th at my house with, uh, a star studded cast of thousands or at least a couple uh, my friend Kyle Pogue, uh, one of my favorite comics, is flying in from Colorado. Christine Levine, oh. uh, Eric Sobchak, taking your place since you took his place at the last yeah. one. Uh, Rob Maybe, the couple other folks who I'm blanking on right now. The um, That's going to be a good show. I hope it's going to be a good show. Please let it be a good show. Everyone is morally... I God, you are morally obligated to grant me a good show on my birthday. Yeah. The, God works in mysterious ways though. You know? <laughs> he never gives you more than you can handle. Mishka. He never gives you more callbacks than you can handle. The, um, <laughs> I could just offer these platitudes all day. A vending machine. The um, Sarah, you're the best. The, thank you so it's much for, fun. for embarking on this awkward uh, process with me of sort of trying to define what this podcast is about. The... I want I, actually can I interject I know you're in in wrap it up mode yeah yeah I was harassing you recently about doing like a an accountability writing challenge thing and I wonder if some of your fans and followers have any insights into that because I know in the past you've done stuff with like workouts and like checking in with people and I know you were not into it when <laughs> you were hesitant. Oh, absolutely not into it. The, I think it's a terrible <laughs> idea. The, um, I, I do have, maybe we'll make this happen at some point. The, for my writing workshop um, at Yale, uh, this past year, the, I always feel, I always feel so self-conscious when I name drop it, whatever. I've been fucking teaching there for years. I can fucking name drop Yale, 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 Yale. Um, when we were teaching, when I was teaching at Yale, um, we did, because it was a zoom thing that we were doing online and because it's memoir and that it's so personal. Um, what we did was we created a shared Google document just called the scroll. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and I would post writing prompts each day and then the students would go in and write anything from two lines to a paragraph um, from the writing prompt the and it was fucking awesome and then by the time we got to the writing workshop everybody knew each other um and the and also i think that i feel like everybody had written better stuff in um in the scroll than in their writing submissions you know the so it was it was awesome to see them sort of evolve as writers in real time the um if you're listening and you are not my mom and you're interested in a, a writing challenge or some accountability, um, you should reach out to Sari Beliak at <laughs> a Twitter at the Crass Ceiling. Awesome. Um, <laughs> the Crass Ceiling on Twitter. The and I'm we're, we'll be doing more stuff together this year. The um, Sari, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. This was fun. All right. I'll see you. Bye. Bye.